from the rosy studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another blooming episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks, you bet your garden. Despite what you may think or fear, roses are actually pretty tough plants, unless you treat them poorly. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll review the rules of proper and successful chemical-free rose care. And of course, we'll take your fabulous phone call, questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and jauntily jagged justifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having the best looking roses on the block because you went shopping instead of pruning. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, coming to you from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm your beautiful host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, in the question of the week, we'll explain everything you need to know to have successful roses, beautiful roses, without chemicals of any kind. I grow beautiful roses, do almost nothing to them, barely have opposable thumbs, and they bloom like mad all summer, okay? And I presume you have opposable thumbs, so it's going to be much easier for you. That's coming up later in the show, as well as your fabulous phone calls to 833-727-9588. But first, it's time to give away a book. The postcards get more and more creative. Uh, this one was sent in by Bill Warner of Pensauken, New Jersey. He sent a beautiful, oh, I gotta hold it up here. Yeah, cover my face. Cover my cover your face, Ralph. He sent in a beautiful postcard that I originally thought was done by Alphonse Mucha, but instead it's an American artist named William Bradley, who who obviously saw a few Mooka pictures along his pathway. Now, Bill not only sent a cool postcard, he wrote a poem, okay? I normally don't like poems, but this one is so good, I'm going to share it with you, okay? He calls it In Dead Earnest. If I should die before I wake, all my bone and sinew take. Put me in the compost pile to decompose me for a while. Worms, water, and sun will have their way, returning me to common clay. All that I am will feed the trees and little fishes in the seas. When radishes and corn you munch, you may be having me for lunch. And then excrete me with a grin, chortling there goes Lee again. <laughs> Lee, you win. You're getting a wonderful book, American Backyard, which was published by Rodale Press back when there was a Rodale Press. It's by Chris Medic. I hope you enjoy it. 
We loved your poem. Excellent work, sir. And I just noticed Bill used the Mr. Rogers forever stamp on the front of his postcard. So, Bill, triple play. You win. All right. And now, on with the show. Carrie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Carrie. How you doing? I am ready for spring. All <laughs> right. You and a lot of other people. And where is Carrie ready for spring? I'm in northwest Ohio in a little town called Columbus Grove. Okay. What are you near? Um, an hour south of Toledo, an hour north of, an hour and a half north of Dayton. Okay, so you're, you're in the middle so of nothing. nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, yes, we're near nothing. Okay, well, sometimes that works out. What can it's we do? It's a good rural, rural farming area here. So. Okay, good, so you probably have a little bit of land. A little bit. We live on a little less than two acres. We don't have any farmland or anything, oh, but that's... a lot of trees. That's perfect. I mean, there's an old rule in farming that, uh, you know, really you can only, one man in a given year can only really take care of one acre. Yes. Well, I'm finding that out. My yeah. husband has counted the trees on our property, and we have about 100 trees on our property. It's Not excellent. in the woods, but it's good. It's a good piece of property. But you my problem is that I have some evergreen bushes on, growing on the west side of our house yeah. and our sunroom is on the west side of our house and the windows open with a crank out at an angle right and so much the, the bushes have grown up so much mm -hmm. that they get caught and it's even obstructing the view from the sunroom and so my plan was just to kind of start over and rip these bushes out but I know that would be a lot of work they're pretty tall and I'm just wondering can I get them by pruning them maybe a little bit back each year can That's I get them back to answered, a manageable size you answered your own question not only can you but should you you should yes um most people you know they plan a hedge or an evergreen and let it grow for 30 years then all of a sudden they <coughs> notice it's too big right yes it's a tree <laughs> the time to start pruning is generally in the third year of life and okay. if once the once the plant gets to the size you like, you would prune every spring uh, to take off the previous year's growth, just like you're mm -hmm. supposed to do with crepe myrtles, you know, to yeah. keep them at the height you want. So you have it exactly right. Now, when spring arrives and things start greening up again, I think the first thing you want to do is work the back of the plants, which you can't see from the front, right? Right, and right. Get, and get them away from, uh, it sounds like you have Anderson windows that open out or something. Yeah, I don't know what they are, but yeah, I would need to get them away because they're pushed up against the house right I now. I understand, yeah, and that's also bad. You don't want any uh, greenery touching your actual home. So I'm going to suggest for the first year you eat the height and go back there and start, uh, you know, getting them away from the house and the windows. Okay. Uh, how high do the windows begin? Um, they start about four feet up from the base of the foundation, so okay. they're pretty tall. Right, and how, how, how tall are the bushes at this point, the evergreens? I mean, so... 
they're kind of straggly at the top, but probably the height is almost about nine feet. So ideally, I would like to eventually get them back to half their height. And I yes, don't know if that's and you can. You can do it manageable. and you can do it safely. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Kind of estimate the biomass of your plants. Um, okay. you, you've already said they're like nine, nine feet tall, so that's nine feet by something, by their width. Okay? And Probably four, at least four feet. Okay, so now you got, now you got your cubic feet. So um, what I want you to do is approximate one-third of the plant. This first year, okay. I'm going to give you permission to go to town. So what you want to do is get the back of the bushes and make an airspace of at least one foot hmm. be be okay. between the back of the bushes and the windows and the house, all up and down. So, and if when you accomplish that, you have trimmed off about one-third of the biomass, then you can get on a ladder safely <laughs> and and trim the top like a haircut. Don't go nuts. This is hand pruners. Okay, right. And that's what I was going to ask. Just clippers. Clip hand off. pruners. Hand okay. pruners yeah. do the those, hand pruners. Those hedge, those hedge trimmers just like look like an army haircut. No offense. Okay. Yeah, I don't have those anyway. So hand pruners are perfect. Yeah, and you you know the growing tips. They're the easiest part up top. Yes. So you can cut those back maybe by six inches. But don't go nuts. Leave a lot okay. behind. Um, do you have any mulch around the plants? Um, I have scraped up most of our mulch because I've been listening to you for a while. So mm -hmm. unless there is a little bit, I've, I've put compost kind of around or leaf Good. mulch. So I think I'll be able to get in there better once I start pruning yeah. a little bit away. Yeah. Okay, so compost. But also don't forget that they are some privacy for you when you're in that room. People can't see inside right now. Right, So right. It, it's, the, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing is, is if you look at the middle and the back of the bushes, there's no greenery on them. And I know that's because that they they're not getting so any sun. Big, yes. And they're not getting any sun. Is that, is that going to come back if I do no. the slower pruning no. process? No, that matter of fact, that's a free space on the bingo card. Anything that's dead doesn't count towards the third. Okay, so just take that out. Oh, yeah. You should always remove dead, damaged, or diseased branches anytime you see them, even in the fall. Okay. All right? Okay. And here's, Thank another, you. here's another suggestion, because they're still going to be coming up to the windows, right? Right, yeah. I would go out and buy some birdhouses, specifically wren houses, and houses that are frequented by chickadees and okay. place those in the trees towards your window. And then in the winter, hang suet cakes from the trees. Mm -hmm. That way you'll have something to look at from your side. <laughs> right. Okay, great. Well, thank you. I appreciate the help, and I will get started in the spring on getting these bushes down to size. My pleasure. Good luck to you. Eric, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks. Well, thank you, Eric. How you doing? Good, good. A little chilly. And where, good. where is Eric a little chilly? Uh, Independence, Kansas, down uh, in the southeast corner. Okay, very good. What can we do for Eric from Kansas? Well, what I've got is uh, 70 acres of what was overgrazed pasture I bought 
mm-hmm. and I've been letting it grow, and I decided to plant a bunch of nut trees for the first round. I planted 140 two years ago, and uh, these were bare root trees. Right. And uh, I am looking for a way to kind of make it more convenient so I don't have to mow around every one of these little trees. Mm-hmm. And I, my question was, could I use carpet remnants as uh, kind of a weed barrier? Huh. Um, what kind of nuts can you grow in Kansas? Bur oak, black walnut, and uh, some pecan. I didn't know that you were within the pecan growing region. You know, we're right here in this corner. There are groves all over the place, mostly in the river bottoms. But, right, right. Uh, there, there's a lot of them down here. All right. Well, that sounds very interesting. So here's my thoughts. Um, I think you could use the carpeting um, to make very wide walking lanes. If the, you know, you've got a lot of acreage, so I presume these trees are well spread out. Yes, they are. But I would not encroach upon the root zone. So as the trees grow, you probably know that the roots are going to go out um, at least as far as the canopy of the tree when they get to um, a semi-mature age. And you don't want to cover those roots with carpeting uh, because that would not only prevent rainwater from getting through, you'd really smother them for air. And something we don't talk about on the show very often, but something I'm always reinforcing or reinforcing on myself when I read is the need for air around the roots of plants. There needs to be an air exchange between them and the surface. So I I think you could probably cut your weeding by two thirds, maybe even three quarters But around the trees themselves, I would suggest, um, and I understand nobody wants burrs coming up. They're just a a terrible nuisance all over your clothes and everything. And if you got pets, oh my God, drives them crazy. But how about arborist wood chips? Now I know where you are in Kansas, I doubt people are into this terrible dyed trash wood mulch fad. but I, you know, you also got power lines, you got power companies. Um, what's the availability of, again, what I call arborist wood mulch, which is the fresh trimmings from trees that needed to be cut back or taken down? I would suspect I could get dump truck loads of that stuff for free. Okay. Well, that's going to be uh, an appropriate mulch around the trees themselves. So what you would do is you would start six inches away, at least, from the trunk, and then take the mulch out as far as um, your loads allow you to. The ideal would be to estimate uh, the length, outward length of the canopy when the trees are around 20 years old and go out one and a half times that far because the wood mulch is going to allow air and water through. No deeper than two inches. The wood mulch, yeah, no deeper than two inches and never touch the trunks of the trees. Now, theoretically, uh, wood mulch will absorb nitrogen on its way to becoming compost. But if it's not mixed with the soil, 
it's not going to take nitrogen out of the soil. It's going to deal what it can with the nitrogen in the air. So I don't think it'll stunt your trees or anything like that. And that will keep the weeds down while allowing air and water uh, to travel down to the roots of your trees. And then on the big areas, outdoor carpet, man, you'll be, you know, the, every, <laughs> yeah. everybody, hey, you hear what he's doing over there? He's, That's right. he's farming carpet. <laughs> What, uh, so no weed barrier or anything underneath? The oh wall. my God. Right on the ground. Weeds love weed barrier, especially grassy weeds, because what happens, you've seen weed barrier, they have to have little holes to allow air and water through. Well, grassy weeds come up through those little holes, and then they form a mat underneath those holes that not only means you've got all the weeds above ground, but it is almost impossible to pull the barrier up after that. All right. Perfect. All right, good luck, Eric. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the Southeast Pennsylvania Home and Garden Show in Morgantown, PA, on Saturday and Sunday, March 7th and 8th. That's Morgantown, PA, just outside of Reading, cats and kittens. Don't go to West Virginia, because I won't be there. And don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back to take more of your fabulous phone calls and we're going to fix your roses. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodell Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will tell you how to take proper care of your roses without chemicals and get better results. But we got to keep taking your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Erica, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Erica. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Uh, Where is Erica good? I live and garden in Wheatfield, New York, right between Buffalo and Niagara Falls. Oh, okay. Um, I have friends who are up in Syracuse and Utica, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, not that far. Certainly a a similar climate. Pretty similar, yeah. Yeah. So what can we do you for? So my question is about seed starting. Mm -hmm. So I've had a garden for a while. I've been starting seeds for the last five or six years, which means I've been starting seeds successfully for the last three or four years. (laughs) Well, that is exactly the perfect attitude to have. I think a lot of times when I'm doing public speaking and I explain to people that, 
seed starting is much more difficult to do successfully than outdoor growing of the plants and that the skills do not even overlap. You can be a fabulous outdoor gardener and you at this point still know nothing about indoor seed starting. So you have to give up the first couple of years to experiments. And I'm always telling people who want to start their own seeds, that's great, but don't be afraid that if things go south to buy your plants afterwards. Much better to learn from some failures and get good at it and buy plants that year than to put out things that are weak and spindly because then you're going to fail on both levels. Absolutely. Okay, so, uh, so. <laughs> so you're starting to get good at it. What can we do? So I um, generally reuse containers because, as you advise, I did a lot of gardening before I started seed starting, so I have lots of little pots and six-packs and stuff left from those previous purchases. They are the perfect things yeah. to start seeds in. That's why the nurseries use them. Mm-hmm. And I reuse them every year. Now, in the first year or two, I had trouble with damping off. Okay, damping off, for those who don't know, is when a young seedling rots at the soil line and essentially uh, joins the choir invisible. <laughs> yeah, there's no resuscitation at that point. So I fixed that problem, or I, I believe I did. Um, I did some more research. I took a seed starting class locally um, and got the advice that really I wasn't cleaning my containers well enough. And so I started cleaning all those containers before I used them in a 10% bleach solution. I know, that's why I'm calling you. I, I know you have feelings on that. Yeah, it's much better used as a trench gas than a, um, than a seed starting sterilizer. Oh my goodness, and like so many of your callers, I've already done it this year and now I'm calling you to ask what to do better and ugh. What I breathed, what I touched, oh, didn't yeah. love it. Oh, no, so. it is. Um, in World War I, it was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Mm -hmm. So I want a solution that will still give me clean pots so that I don't have the damping off worry, but I don't want to expose myself to bleach oh, yeah, for you, all those reasons. You don't have to. You don't have to. I've been gardening for 35 years. I've been starting my own seeds for probably 30 of those years and was never tempted to use any kind of bleach or anything like that. And uh, uh, being a hardcore organic gardener, I didn't feel it was even a potential for me to use it. it wasn't a possibility. Right. Um, so early on, as, as with you, as with almost everybody else, I did experience some damping off. So I looked into it and I saw that it's 99 and three quarters percent over watering. Now, of course, we're always worried that our starts aren't going to germinate and that they're gonna dry out. And depending on the circumstances they're in, they can seem um, very dry mm -hmm. in, after a day if it's low humidity inside. So a lot of us over water and then we experience damping off. What I learned from an old gardening book was if you can't avoid overwatering, after your seed starts come up, after all the sprouts are up, put an inch or two of milled peat moss on the surface of the seed starting soil. 
milled peat moss is a natural antibiotic that protects the young starts even if you overwater them. Mm. Um, I have not experienced anything that even remotely looks like damping off for 20 years. And obviously I've already said I don't use bleach or anything like that. I'm gonna to come totally clean and say that I don't even wash them in soap and water. I bang out the old dirt that I'm gonna reuse <laughs> at some point and I fill it with the new stuff. Um, I don't think it's rocket science. One thing I always like to remind people of is that the plants want to live. A mm -hmm. lot of times we just have to get out of their way. And I apologize to good extension agents and people who give good lectures and things like that, but you get this idea in your head that this has to be done and nobody ever challenges it. It just gets passed down like whispering down the lane. And I know personal experience is not scientific knowledge, but again, I have never used bleach. I've experienced damping off and I've simply learned to have a little bit of a lighter hand on the water. And if I'm in an environment that I think is gonna stay a little bit too wet to do the milled peat moss on top. Mm. So I, I think you can, you can stop bleaching your hands every year now. If you want to be super sure, uh, wash them out with soap and water. You know, just rinse them well. I'm not even sure that there's any evidence that damping off is a disease uh, that would linger from year to year on, certainly not on plastic. So getting the dirt out of there would seem to, you know, if there's any disease lurking, knocking the old dirt out would, would take care of that. And then soap and water. Heck, may, maybe not even soap, just like good water rinses. Uh, but a lot of people tend to go overboard on these things. And bleach is so bad for humans and the environment. Yeah, so thank you so much. So something like dish soap, you think? Oh, yeah, like, sure. Like soap at all? Yeah. And so it's just coincidence that when I started doing that, I probably also learned six other things yes, that exactly. I better the next year. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You had more confidence. You weren't overwatering. And, um, yeah, try it. Uh, be strong. Be brave. Fortune, <laughs> fortune favors the bold. Oh, good. Yeah, I definitely started out alternating between overwatering and underwatering. That was my, my early skill in that. <laughs> hey, it, it, it's an art, not a science. Mm -hmm. I mean, every home is different. One of the best things I learned is if the tray full of stuff isn't all full of the same thing in the same pot, it doesn't all need to be watered at the same time. That was one of the biggest mistakes I made. Always water by weight. When you've got any kind mm -hmm. of a container, whether it's a little guy or a big pot, lift it up. If it's heavy, it's fine. If it's bone dry, it's going to be super light. Yep, and I've started only watering from the bottom, so I oh, pick those that, up and put them in a separate tray of water. That's huge. Yeah, never, never water from the top. Although mm -hmm. it is good to mist your starts every once in a while. Mm. It yeah, keeps I it do keeps that the some. humidity up around them. Right, right. Okay. Great. Thank you so much, Mike. Christine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mr. McGrath. I've been listening to your show for years, and I appreciate your fiercely organic advice. So I'm calling about a two-part pest problem. Okay. Well, uh, I, I, I could be one of the pests, Christine. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't be too sure of yourself I doubt it. here. Uh, where are you? I'm in Whitehall, Pennsylvania, just a little north of Allentown. The home of every mall store known to man. <laughs> 
yes. Yes, we have no shortage of malls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that. Grape Street side by side, right? Yes, that's right. All right. What can we do for Christine in the Hall of White? I was wondering if ahead of the growing season, there might be something a home gardener could do to effectively and cost-effectively mitigate the spotted lanternfly problem. Hmm. Uh, spotted lanternflies started out in the Lehigh Valley, where, where you are technically, but, you know, on the other side of the valley from you. And despite some of the best efforts I've seen of the EPA and other state agencies uh, try, these pests have spread. Now, mm. it's, this is going to be, I think, their third year at best. So this is about the time where their natural enemies are going to emerge. Birds are going to learn to hunt them. Uh, parasites are going to learn to dig into them. That's the best answer when these invasive insects come in. For instance, there was just great news about marmorated stink bugs that researchers found, um, what did they call it, a samurai wasp, one of these tiny little wasps that are almost microscopic, but they lay their eggs in, they lay their eggs into the eggs of other insects. And these, uh, their DNA takes them uh, to stink bugs. So they've mm. been released in small areas and they're spreading beautifully on their own. And the nice thing is, if, if God forbid all the stink bugs uh, were, were gone, these wasps would die off too. They don't cross over and parasitize good bugs or anything like that. Um, and I can guarantee the USDA is working on finding predators of the spotted lanternfly from their native, uh, their native areas. So the two things you can do that are totally contradictory. Do you have any Allianthus trees, the tree of heaven? No, I don't. Okay. If no. you did, some authorities would tell you to cut them down because they are the prime host of the spotted yeah. lanternfly. Yeah. My answer would be to leave the tree alone, monitor it, and when it gets covered with spotted lanternflies, uh, go out there with a vac canister vacuum cleaner or a flame weeder and kill them all and then look for their egg masses on that tree, which look, look like splatters of light yeah. mud. So yeah. the only thing you can do in preparation, did you have them last year? I did. And what yeah, were they? They're all over my uh, willow tree, and I also have uh, two brand new Bartlett pear trees mm -hmm. and a precious Franklinia that I want to protect. Okay. Yeah, the Franklinia tree that's extinct in the wild and is only yeah. kept alive by dedicated gardeners. Well, the advice is the same then. Um, if you know where these creatures are going to attack, I would uh, first of all examine them carefully, and anything you see that looks like a splatter of mud scrape it off into a jar with alcohol in it, okay? Mm -hmm. And then monitor those trees carefully. I don't think we have any traps that can detect them because um, they're so new. But you know, you saw, did you see the babies? The yes, the they're so pretty. Oh, my God, they're, uh, like, they're like cartoon dice with legs. Oh, they are, yes. They're but, so pretty. And, and I watched them for weeks. Oh, Not yeah. realizing that those were the babies. Same, so thing, same thing happened in my garden. My Diane and I were out 
admiring my tomatoes uh, because it was a banner year for them. And she goes, yeah. what's this? And I go, uh, well, either we're tripping or the Warner Brothers cartoon world exploded into ours through an alternate dimension. They're so cool. Um, so I ignored them, but then uh, I only saw one or two adults and they were on my window screens and, uh, and there was no damage from them. So I would monitor these trees. I would get rid of any egg masses right now and then be ready with a pressure washer. When either the little guys or the big guys show up, blast them off. That sharp stream of water not only removes them from the tree, but kills them. Terrific. Yeah, water okay. is the best pesticide. Okay. Would that also work on that second pest problem, which is a new pest that's skeletonizing my roses? A tiny jade green worm that sits in a pretty curl on any remaining rose leaves. I think it fits the description of a rose slug, mm -hmm. but when I try organic pesticides, it doesn't seem to discourage it at all. So I blast it with the hose, and I risk rose mildew. Okay, yeah. We don't get a lot um, of air circulation here. Yeah. Oh man, it's not the rose slug, and I'm blanking out on the true name. But that's that's exactly correct. It's a it's some sort of a weird cross between a a, a beetle grub and a slug. Oh. And oh. so, you know, look up rose slug online and it'll take you to the, um, to the name of the pest. Then I did do an article about it on the Gardens Alive website. You know, it was a question of the okay. week first. So you go to the Gardens Alive website right on the front. They got to click through to You Bet Your Garden. And then where it says, you know, to find Mike's questions, type in um, rose slug or whatever. I just can't remember the actual name. Sawfly. Oh, sawfly. Oh, sawfly. Okay. Sawfly, okay. don't bother me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> physical removal would probably be the easiest, you know, check your roses. Whenever you see a curled up leaf, cut it off, drop the pests into, I was going to say a bad word instead of pests, uh, drop the pests <laughs> into a jar half full of alcohol and just be diligent. And okay. if, if you want to do the water thing, just do it first thing in the morning on a day that's going to be sunny so the leaves dry off oh, right away. Got it. All right. Soft Thank flies, you so much. Soft flies are kind of a tough pest. So read that article clearly because I can't remember what I wrote. But uh, <laughs> I think physical removal is probably the best bet. It's also going to stimulate the rose into growing new leaves so you're not hurting it. Thank you so much. And thank you for a great, great show. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind all of you that I am going to appear in Morgantown, PA, which is not in West Virginia. It's just outside of Reading at the Spring Home Show there. And this is right in the middle of our territory, cats and kittens. So I want you all to come out. I'll be there on March 7th and 8th. I'll teach you how to grow great tomatoes explain why you don't know how to make compost, and we'll have fun answering your questions. So that's the home show in Morgantown, PA, March 7th and 8th. More details at our website under the events section. But don't go looking for that info right now, because we'll be right back with the right way to care for your roses and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, coming to you from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week about how to take care of your roses organically and get much better success than you're getting now. In the meantime, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Carrie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Carrie. Where are you? Uh, located in Palmerton, Pennsylvania, actually. All right. What can we do for Carrie in Palmerton? So my husband and I are new homeowners in the last few years, mm-hmm. and we would love to start our first garden this spring. Sure. And not having done this before, we want to know um, what tips do you have to make sure that we set it up correctly? And also, how do we keep the deer and other critters out of our food? We're actually going to set up a vegetable garden. Uh Uh-huh. Deer, huh? Uh, Deer are a whole story in themselves. Now, are you planning on a raised bed garden to begin with? We are. Okay, great, great, great. Basically, what you would do is scalp the lawn. And, you know, I want to see dirt blowing out the back of the mower. And then you lay down cardboard, one sheet of heavy cardboard, like they ship refrigerators in. Okay. Over either the entire area or just the area that you've sketched out, um, perhaps with string and sticks uh, for your raised beds. But it, it makes sense to do the whole area that you can, including the walking lanes. They shouldn't be any wider than four feet, and they can actually be shorter than that. When people are petite, let's say, nothing wrong with having a three-foot wide bed because one of the most important aspects is you want to be able to reach the center of the bed without stepping into the bed. They can be as long as you want. You can make the length to your property. Most people make their beds eight by four because that fits standard lengths of lumber. You buy eight foot long lumber, you have them cut some of it in half and everybody goes home early. By the way, I I strongly suggest you buy professionally made corner kits. Um, These are generally metal or very heavy plastic and they fit in the corners and you slide the wood into them and you stake them in the ground. So you got the cardboard underneath, you've scalped the lawn, then you fill them half and half with uh, screened high quality topsoil. That means it's black when it's dry and good quality compost. And for each bed, you also, let's say a four by eight raised bed, you wanna mix in a big bag of perlite. Uh, That white stuff you see in the uh, plants you buy at the garden center, because that's a natural mined material that is really good for improving the drainage in your beds. And where you live, you probably have very clay soil. We do. Yeah. So you want to, you know, it's always good to start out with the beds made correctly. So now you've got those raised beds. You've spent a lot of time and energy in making them. But now you're never going to have to till them. They should remain weed-free. In the off-season, make sure you cover them with shredded leaves. 
and as we approach spring, move the leaves off to the side so that the bed can uh, warm up, the soil can warm up, because the leaves will keep it cold. Two feet in between each raised bed. Don't cheat on that. You will be surprised how much you need when you're trying to move wheelbarrows in between your raised beds and stuff. So give a good two feet of walking lanes. Deer, um, because I, I'm guessing you're not going to build a staggeringly huge garden. <laughs> no. So I recommend you uh, go online or go to a, a, a better gardening store and get a motion-activated sprinkler. These are amazing. You hook it up to a garden hose, you turn the water on full blast, and nothing happens until an object breaks the cycle, you know, gets, gets in the beam of the motion-activated sprinkler. Okay. And then it hits them with several cups of freezing cold water. <laughs> okay. It is excellent at chasing deer away. And one of the nice things is if you give deer a shock like that early in the season, they may take like a mental photo of your place and not come back there because there's plenty of people who don't have those kind of things and they'll go over and eat their rhododendrons instead of yours. But you're going to get up one morning, one beautiful morning. You're going to make yourself a cup of coffee or tea. You're going to walk out to your raised beds. Oh, man, I'm, I'm so good at this. Look at how beautiful the plants are. And then you're going to hear a click. And at that point, just accept it. Just arms up in the air, you know, <laughs> get yourself a nice little sprinkle and uh, don't drop your mug. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate the advice and uh, looking forward to trying all this out this spring. Yes. And uh, before you do any one of these things, feel free to go to our website, go to youbetyourgarden.org, click on the link that says answers to all your garden problems. I bet you'll find a dozen stories about how to build raised beds and quite a few stories on deer. Great. Thank you so much. All right. It is indeed time for the question of the week which we are calling the proper care of roses. Barbara, who is also right here in Bethlehem, PA, writes, I was trimming back some of my knockout roses during one of our recent 60-degree days and noticed that they didn't look right. They have a white substance on the lowest parts of the canes. It wasn't there last fall, as far as I know. They're planted in a bed alongside my driveway with some other perennials, and they're in full sun. Two of them have this issue. Is it a fungus? Why is everything a fungus? Is there anything I can do? Or should I dig them out? I also have a tea rose bed about 30 feet away, and so far I don't see it on any of them. Both beds are fed during the summer and mulched with compost. I sterilize my clippers with bleach between plants. Take back the applause. Um, thinking that all the rain last year might have something to do with it, although the area drains well. Help! Well, I'm glad to help, Barb. First, you made a rookie mistake by pruning on a warm winter's day. Whenever the weather is nice and the gardener is bored silly, the pruners come out, for good or for evil. In this case, the dark side won. Pruning while a plant is awake stimulates new growth. If that pruning is done during a winter warm spell, odds are that it will soon be followed by below freezing temps. 
and the new sap your pruning got running will freeze solid, often causing the new growth to split wide open. The only safe time to prune roses is during an extended winter cold spell. That's why they call it dormant pruning. But the more you remove in winter, the more you expose the plant to later winter injury, which makes spring a much more ideal time, specifically about two weeks after things green up and when no more cold snaps are predicted. Yeah, that maybe means looking at overgrown canes over the winter, but the more biomass they have, the better the plants can survive extreme winter weather like ice storms. Okay. White stuff on leaves certainly might mean disease, but probably not white stuff on the canes. It could be many things, including spittlebug spittle, because spittlebugs spit, or it could be egg cases. Ripping the plants out seems extremely extreme in the extreme. See if this stuff wipes clean with a damp cloth or a cloth covered with alcohol and wait for spring. And why do people believe that everything that appears odd about a plant is a fungus? Stop with the fungus. Anyway, here's my Healthy Rose Care 101. You can prune roses from spring through summer to help keep their size within limits and to always remove any dead, damaged, or diseased branches. Never prune roses or any other plants in the fall or during spells of warm weather in the winter. Never purchase, use, inhale, or touch bleach. We don't need to use World War I chemical weapons that killed millions in our gardens. If you feel you must use something to disinfect your pruners, and you really don't, use white vinegar. Better to always just cut below the suspect area into healthy tissue to prevent the possible transmission of possible infection. Now, you redeem your rose care status, my listener, by mulching your roses with compost. Great choice. Living organisms in compost prevent disease organisms from reproducing thus negating diseases like black spot before they can infect your plants. Never use any kind of wood or bark mulch near disease-prone plants like roses and tomatoes. While compost neutralizes disease spores, wood mulch encourages them. In fact, many plant pathologists have abandoned petri dishes for bags of triple premium shredded bark because that ill-advised wood mulch breeds disease spores much faster. When it comes to roses, no mulch at all is better than wood mulch. We move on. You should only water roses and tomatoes in the early morning so the sun can quickly dry off their leaves. Watering in the evening is almost guaranteed to invite disease. No matter what, Try not to wet the leaves when watering. If possible, always water roses at the base. And not at all if there's been an inch of rain that week. They can store a lot of water. Now, I have never fed my roses, some of which are approaching 30 years old and bloom like mad. Just two inches of good quality compost applied in the spring. If you feel you must otherwise feed your roses, 
have a light hand with a dilute gentle organic fertilizer designed for flowering plants and don't use it more than once a month. If you dare feed your roses chemical fertilizers like Osmocote or miracle Grow, the lush new growth these explosive chemical salts cause will attract pests, especially aphids and Japanese beetles and diseases. Okay. New roses should be planted where they'll get morning sun, again, so that the early sun can dry the morning dew off their leaves as early in the day as possible. Airflow is also essential. Leave plenty of airspace between roses and other plants. As soon as the blooms start to fade, deadhead those spent blossoms immediately to encourage fast rebloom. You may get roses to rebloom that are not known as rebloomers. Always pull off discolored leaves immediately, both to prevent the spread of disease and to fool your neighbors into thinking you're really good at this despite the reality of the situation. And if disease strikes, prune off the affected areas and trash the prunings. Then remove any mulch at the base of the plant, including compost, and replace it with two inches of fresh compost. If there wasn't any mulch there, scrape off the top layer of soil and then add fresh compost. And finally, relax. I can assure you that roses are really tough plants that are going to do spectacularly if we avoid mistreating them. Well, that sure was a firm look at the correct way to care for your roses now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read that information over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week always appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. What? Yikes, my producer is threatening to pummel my peace rose if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Always include your location with any email. You'll find all of this contact information plus answers to hundreds, hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows. You'll also find informative details about my upcoming events and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and pod podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is proudly distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. 
Mike McGrath was created when a bat crashing through his window made him realize that criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. Podcast. Podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of pretty pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Davia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our always harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Jeff Frederick is running the camera this week. Zach the Tack with Nesky? Zach the Tack, where are you? Eric Werner is in the control room trying to make things work. And our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon? Well, he's late for a court hearing where he will testify that he is not our executive producer. I'm as pure as the driven slush, your host, Mike McGrath. And I'll knock those frozen chunks of ice off of my car's wheel wells in time to see you again next week. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Have you heard about the so-called study questioning the environmental safety of compost? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll peer-review this article and explain why compost is still the bee's knees. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's all in the next You Bet Your Garden.